Matthew 21, 33. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. I'll give a little context to this verse later. Jesus is telling a story, a pointed parable, but he describes a practice, a landowner planting a vineyard, wanting to protect it. So he built or set a hedge about it. I want to speak to you on the theme, hedges. God bless you. Please be seated. In the Bible, a hedge or a wall was called, a, or a fence or a wall was called a hedge. The biblical use of hedges was not like a row of shrubs that might surround your house for beautification. It served a purpose. And I've chosen to retain the word hedges, although I see what the Bible described as a wall, a short wall in many cases around something to be protected. They were not high like the walls around a fortified city. They were typically smaller walls used more domestically and in agriculture. But the point of a wall, a hedge, was the same. It was there to protect something that was valuable to the family or to the owner. I want to talk to you about hedges today because I believe that we are responsible to build hedges around what we love, value, and want to protect. In the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 9, the Lord is having a conversation with the devil and Satan, Job 1 and 9. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? You have, made, you have, have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and of his possessions have increased in the land. The devil said to God, I want to get to Job, but I can't. You've set a hedge around him on every side. It's not just in front or back or one side or the other. It's on every side. And it protects me from getting to his family, his stuff, his body. You protected him. Now, Satan negotiates with God and God allows the hedge to come down as he deems it. He can first get to Job's possessions, his livestock, and his children. And later, Satan has access to Job's health. He is smitten with boils from head to foot. It's interesting, though, that with the removal of the hedge that God had put up, that Job had some self-built hedges in his life. He had a hedge of worship that when everything is gone, I will still choose to worship God. He had a hedge of trust that even though things did not make sense, he trusted that God knew what he was doing and was working on his behalf. 
Job had a hedge of hope that in the midst of all, his, all of his calamity, he knew that if skin worms destroyed his body, yet in his flesh he would see God. Hedges are a first line of defense against an attack. In Psalm 89 and 40, there's a picture of what happens when hedges are broken down. Psalm 89, 40, you have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. So there was something important, a stronghold, that was surrounded by a hedge. And when the hedge came down, the stronghold was destroyed. It was brought to ruin. The Lord spoke of Israel as his well-beloved, like a vineyard that was surrounded by a hedge. You'll find that in the book of Isaiah chapter 5. This story that we're reading about in Matthew 21, a parable told by Jesus. I want to read it again, Matthew 21, 33. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard. That's what he valued. He set a hedge around it. He dug a wine press in it so he could crush the grapes and get the juice. And then he built a tower, which is another sermon, a place from which he could watch. He leased it out to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, the point of this parable is how the Jews rejected Jesus. He sent for the fruit and they, they killed the ones that went who were his ambassadors. But we see a picture of a practice that was common in the Bible. If you had a home, if you had a farm, if you had a vineyard, you would very often surround it with a hedge, a wall that would protect anything from getting in that you didn't want in. It wasn't to keep people or things from getting out. It was to keep the outside from getting in. So vineyards were symbolic of something of value, and hedges were symbolic of a first line of defense, a way of protection that the landowner would have. So it was a matter of security to surround what you valued with a hedge. This is an important idea about family, about your life, about making sure that you protect the things that matter to you. This hedge is a barrier. It stands between you and your family and danger. It doesn't wall you in. It walls other things out. I grew up in, in a modest home in Hialeah, Florida, Miami, and my parents had a chain-link fence put around our house. Now, it wasn't six feet tall. It wasn't topped with barbed wire, uh, but it was a fence nonetheless. And I've thought about what that fence kept out, I'm sure my parents also thought it was a good idea to keep us four kids and cousins and friends to be protected from the cars that drove down the busier street in front of our house, not the side street. So my parents loved us enough to build a fence. In our church, we have a lot of technology here, and uh, we want to protect it. So Brother Roger Carter, who looks after this, put a very thorough firewall uh, for our internet, for all of our technology. But we've been told that our firewall is attacked something like a thousand times a day. Someone would like to get in 
and hack our information, mess with, mess with our computers, and, and destroy the technology that we use to bring glory to God. But thank God there's a hedge there. There's a firewall there to protect us. But fences, hedges that have holes in them are of little value. I recently saw some warthogs going under a hole in a fence. That's not really keeping stuff out and keeping stuff in. If you've ever been to a farm or a place that was fenced and there were breaches in the fence, maybe the, the barbed wire was cut and anything could come and go, that was a dangerous place that left the farm vulnerable. The purpose of my message today is to encourage you to strengthen the hedges around your soul and around your family and to make sure you know that you need them. If you love your soul, if you love your marriage, if you love your family, then you need to build a hedge or strengthen the hedge around your family. It doesn't need to be on one side or two. It needs to be a 360 structure to protect what you really love and value. Amen. Satan is your enemy. Continually conspires to destroy you. Jesus spoke about his work in John 10 and 10. That the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what his business is in your family. And I want to remind you that he is always working. He knows his time is short. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So don't be spiritually asleep or naive or you think that because you prayed last week that that's good enough. We must be vigilant, watchful, and build a hedge around our family and maintain it at all costs. There's a thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't know about you, but I think your family is worth protecting. I know my family is worth protecting. So what are these hedges? I believe that they can be identified as lines you draw about holiness, safety, protection, whatever comes into your home that you want to make sure with everything you can to keep stuff out that wants to come in that may be insidious or overt, but it has a motive of destroying your family. So I want to talk about three kinds of hedges, physical and relational hedges, mental and emotional hedges, and spiritual hedges. Physical and relationship hedges are very important. Fathers and mothers, and if you're a single parent, that's you. You are a steward of the hedges that surround your marriage and family. And as I said at the beginning of this series, I am acutely aware that there are many people that do not fall into the category of a family that I may be addressing today. You may be single. You may be older, widowed, divorced. You may be a single parent. These principles apply to the hedges that you need to build and maintain in your life. But the head of a home, I believe, is the primary steward 
of that hedge. Amen. Job was surrounded on every side by a hedge around his life. Amen. So it's, a, it's an important thing that we maintain these hedges in our life. And everybody said, amen. 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 And my iPad decided to just go somewhere else, and so I'm finding my spot, if you're wondering what I'm doing right now. Physical and relational hedges. Now, in the Old Testament, God gave a tremendous amount of authority to husbands and fathers, so much so that if a wife or a minor child made a vow to God, if the husband felt that that vow was foolish, that husband had the authority under God to disannul that vow. They could say this is a foolish vow or one that shouldn't be made to God and the husband could overrule it. This is found in Numbers chapter 30. I'm in verse 5 now. But there is an important component of this. If a wife or a minor child made a vow and the husband did not say anything, then that vow would stand. And the Bible said that the father had to overrule her, his wife or the child, on the day that he heard of that vow. And if he didn't do that, then he was giving silent consent to that vow. And she or that child, that wife or child, would not be released from that vow. If he keeps his mouth shut and doesn't speak up, then that foolish vow will stand. Amen. Wouldn't it have been a good idea if Adam would have told Eve, no, Eve, it may look good. It may be desired to make you wise. It may look like it's good to eat and it's pretty, but we're not eating that fruit in our family. I'm not talking about husbands and dads as dictators, but I am talking about leaders that love your family and you are a first line of defense to say we're not going there doing that. That's not for us. My responsibility is to protect my family. It would have been a great idea if Abraham would have said to Sarah, I know we don't have any children, and it sounds like a great plan for me to father a child with your handmaid, but I don't see any good thing coming from that, a nation that will be our nemesis from now on. And if Abraham would have spoken up, and said, that's a bad idea, Sarah, that Jewish people would have been saved a lot of trouble through the centuries. But Adam was silent, and Abraham was silent, and history tells the rest of the story. And I want to tell you that if you're a father, husband, if you're a single mom, it may not be easy for you to take a stand. But would you say, by the grace of God, I'm going to stand where the Bible stands. I'm going to build a hedge around my family. I'm going to say, this is what we believe. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to build some hedges for our family. Hedges around your body, after all, they are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The physical health and safety of your family is very important. Nutrition, sleep, shelter, Safety date from all danger and harm. That's very important for us to do in a practical way. Any good parent would not leave a loaded firearm laying around their house 
with young children to access it. I think that's a good idea, right? You don't leave guns laying around, knives, sharp objects. Well, if you believe that's important, there's a lot of other things that are dangerous to families. And you should try to protect your children from abuse in every form that it might come, whether overt or insidious. You need to be aware of who your children are with, who's alone with your children. Where are they staying? Who is at home with those relatives or friends? When they come back home, do you see any changes of behavior? Does something tip you off that something might have happened? I'm not trying to create a lot of suspects, but we live in a pretty evil world. And we should be guarded. That's what a hedge is all about. Does your child seem troubled? Maybe something's going on. They may not want to talk about it at first, but you need to reach out to them. I think it's important for you to know what's being taught them in school. On Wednesday night, I said if it's a private Christian school that's not an apostolic school, you need to know what's being taught there and counteract false doctrine. If they go to a public school, you need to know about secular humanism, that there's stuff being taught your kids that you do not approve of, and you need to address it with your child to help save them from people that you trust and they trust that may not be trustworthy. There's a lot of great teachers in the public school system. I'm not speaking against them. But when a system is designed to undermine the faith of people, then we need to stand up and get involved as parents. We need to know. We need to know and we need to help our kids. Who are your kids' friends? Who are your friends? You're blessed or cursed by the company that you keep. As mature Christians, we should be reaching out to lost people to bring them into the kingdom of God so they can be saved from hell and go to heaven. But we need to watch about ungodly influences in our children. The Bible is very clear about relationships. 1 Corinthians 15, New Living Translation. Don't be fooled. By those who say such things about associations. For bad company corrupts good character. Yeast always changes the nature of the dough. The dough doesn't change the nature of the yeast. And when something is active and evil. Sometimes yeast is evil in the Bible. Not always. When something is evil and active. It is trying to change you. It is trying to change your family. You should know that it is not inert, that it is active. And you need to get involved in removing it from the context of your family. A little yeast leavens the whole lump. When Israel left Egypt, a group of people went with them. They were called the mixed multitude, the rabble, some translations say. They were the people who murmured against God and turned Israel against the Lord. You need to know if there's some grumblers and complainers and scoffers and critics in your life that are always criticizing the church and your faith and they're trying to undermine your family. They need to go on the other side of that hedge. Amen. Solomon was the wisest man in the world. No one ever liked him but Jesus. 
But Solomon made a, a fatal mistake. He began to take into his kingdom something the Lord advised against. The king was not to multiply to himself wives or horses or money. Solomon starts marrying pagan women. And they undermine his faith. The wisest man in the world. So no matter how spiritual you think you are. Or wise you may be. No one. No one can allow themselves to compromise a principle and not be affected by it. Nehemiah was addressing the, the marriages in his day between Jews and pagan people, and he spoke of Solomon. He used Solomon as an example. Did not Solomon, Nehemiah 13, 26, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him. Nehemiah says, even Solomon was not wise enough to go against the principle and survive it. Even him did pagan women cause to sin. So I want to say to you that you may consider yourself moral and spiritual, and grounded, and good. But none of us, no one, not the person preaching, not anybody listening, none of us are above the Bible. None of us are above the law of the Word of God. Every one of us are affected by it and should live by it. That's why today I'm, in, I'm encouraging you, I'm challenging you to build a hedge around your soul. Build a hedge around your family. Don't let anything breach those walls. I mentioned friendships, Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise. Remember, you're blessed or cursed by the company you keep. But the companion of fools will be destroyed when you knowingly, willingly ally yourself, make a friendship with someone who is a fool, who is ungodly, who begins to influence you, it will destroy you. Now, I know we want to be soul winners. I'll get to that in a bit. But if you ally yourself with them and align yourself with them, you're going to be affected by that. You need to know the friends of your kids. What is their character? Where are they going? What are they doing? What are they watching? Who are they with? You sound like you're interrogating your child, well, at once in a while, that may be important. But if you know, you don't have to ask so many questions because you've already figured that out. Who are their heroes? September 3rd this year, something happened in, in Douglasville that made the news. A lot of things make the news. The police responded to Arbor Place Mall. There are some people fighting inside and out the, outside the mall. The Douglas County Sheriff's deputies arrived and they found a chaotic scene inside and outside Arbor Place Mall. There are as many 200 people, kids, mostly teenagers, juveniles, the report said, running around, screaming. Others were fighting. Some were saying that guns were being fired, although they were not, but they had social media on. They were wanting to get more likes and watches and engagement. It's believed that a $3 movie event led to this large crowd of juveniles 
who were there without parental supervision, which is against the policy of the mall. There were only minor injuries, scrapes, and bruising. There was an investigation by the Douglasville Police Department. They arrested 19 juveniles and one adult. And the ages of those arrested were between the ages of 12 and 17. They got charges like disorderly conduct, affray, simple battery. Nine people were charged with the violation of the Georgia Street Gang and Terrorism Prevention Act. That's not good on your record. They said, you know, just a little bit of gang activities, but the, but the law enforcement agency said, while uh, these programs that try to intervene in gangs are important, it ultimately falls on the shoulders of parents to monitor their children's behavior and prevent conduct, which will lead to them being injured or arrested by us. This may mean, this is the article, you shouldn't let your 12-year-old go out unsupervised on weekend nights. The Douglas County Police Department, Douglasville said, we will vigorously investigate incidents like this, but parents should make sure their children understand this type of behavior will not be tolerated or ignored by law enforcement in Douglasville and in Douglas County. Amen. You can blame gangs if you want, but blames are often replacement families where kids find relationships and approval because they didn't get it at home where they should have gotten it. And I do find it a little ironic because I agree with what I just read that parents are responsible, but some people believe that when your kids go to school that, the, that your kids belong to the state and not the family. But I will tell you that the Bible teaches that we are the stewards of our family. We should be involved. We have a right to know what's going on with our kids. We should intervene. We should shape the process with our vote and our voice and our involvement. But I'm not really here to preach about politics, although we ought to be involved where we can. I'm talking about the involvement of parents to make sure that you build a hedge around your kids, your family. They're too important to destroy that hedge. As a Christian, there are some relational hedges you need to build between people, yourself and the people of the opposite sex. Talking about married couples, single adults. And I'm not being funny now, but if your temptations are not heterosexual temptations, you need the power of God to keep you. There's no past. There's no permission to violate biblical morals. Even if you're struggling with something that is not God-given, that is, that is from another place, whether nurture or satanic or spiritual battle that you may be facing. Amen. Amen. But I want to say this to parents as a former youth pastor. If a person of the same sex as your child or you is forming a controlling or abnormally close relationship with you or your children, take heed. I'm not saying it is always evil, but it needs to be a little flag that goes up. 
Why is this person possessive of my child? Doesn't want them to have other friends. Doesn't want us to be associated with other people. That is something of a concern to me. If you're married, you need to stay clear of compromising situations. It's called the, sometimes called the Mike Pence rule or it's called uh, the, a rule by another leader. I'm sorry, just my mind just went blank. Not in my notes, but, but I read it from Jerry Jenkins about relationships that you don't eat alone with a person of the opposite sex if you're married. You don't travel alone with a member of the opposite sex. If you're married, you maintain a hedge around your life so that you're protected. The other person was the Billy Graham rule and the Mike Pence rule. I just read that this week. You should be careful. How you compliment, because people tend to respond to compliments, so you compliment character, and you make sure that you're not being flirtatious when you don't mean to be flirtatious, and if you're being flirtatious and you shouldn't be, you're not trying to get married, you are married, then that is wrong. I've heard people say innocent flirtation. If you're married, there's no such thing as innocent flirtation. Now, I know there's a few people right now that wish I was talking about Nebuchadnezzar's image, something that isn't so close to home. But I'm intentionally really close to home today because we want to go to heaven. We want our families to be saved. Amen. So be cautious about that. Be cautious and discreet about touching and hugging and maintaining a proper distance with people of the opposite sex. Maintain a good, healthy marriage. Amen. And if you're married, don't discuss intimate problems with other people and let's just in a context to get help and counseling. That's not something that should be kind of just gutter talk with other friends, men and ladies. That should be in the sanctity of your marriage because the Bible said that marriage is honorable among all and the bed is undefiled, but it stays there in the sanctity of your marriage, not to be common talk that creates imagery and temptation for other people. I think that's plain enough. Don't discuss your marriage problems with someone of the opposite sex and they, you gain their sympathy and you form an emotional bond with them that is unhealthy. Be discreet in correspondence and texting and however you communicate so that your intentions are always clear and never misunderstood. Amen. Now I want to talk briefly because I'm talking about hedges. How, how do you treat people who are once in truth but walked away from truth? I'm not talking about trying to win people to God. I'm not talking now about people who we would consider backsliders who were saved but are now away from God. I'm talking about people who consider themselves saved but have chosen another doctrine, another path. They are often trying to evangelize you to come where they are because they have a guilty conscience and they want to talk about it and justify where they are 
for they are now free in Christ and you are now under bondage. That's how they couch that language. The Bible tells us that we are to have nothing to do with people like that. Romans 16, 17. I know this is not family, but it is your soul. It's about relationships. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, New Living Translation. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. So Paul, in the wisdom of the word of God, gives us an understanding. There are some people you should avoid, but it's not sinners who have never been saved. Verse 11. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. They say they're saved, yet they indulge in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Now, I know you may kind of take issue with me, but please don't take issue with the Bible. The Bible is very clear here that someone who has left the faith, who is like an infidel away from truth, doesn't need to be your best buddy. You need to have a hedge between you and them. Amen. The second kind of hedge, after a physical and relational hedge, is a mental and an emotional hedge in your life. So guard your mind and guard your soul. Continually evaluate the influences that you allow into your mind and into your home. What is being watched and how much is it being watched? What is being listened to or read? How much time is spent in social media, even if it is not evil? There's been a lot of studies, not religious but sociological about the rewiring of your brain by your involvement with social media and all kinds of things like that. That's not the purpose of my message. That's not my expertise, but I can read. What kinds of entertainment are you engaged in? How much money is it costing your family? How much time is spent in sports programs, entertainment, gaming, and other media compared to the time you spend in church? And ministry and devotion is the diet of entertainment and media building a more godly family in your life or is it undermining your family values? This wasn't part of my notes. I didn't say this in the 9 a.m. But more and more, children's movies are including people that practice deviant behavior, that are transgender, that are not... But we would understand the Bible, not what we understand, what the Bible clearly teaches. It is this subtle entertainment with a twist here and there. And the entertainment is so enjoyable that we tolerate 
what the Bible condemns, and we are undermining the next generation to normalize what is a perversion. You need to be vigilant and make some good decisions, and you need to put a hedge around your family and say, that may be funny, but it is not godly. How much do you believe the truth? How much are your convictions guiding your behavior? Or will you compromise if it's enjoyable? Okay. And how has that influence helping your family? Is your family better off because of that? Or do you find yourself struggling more and more with imagery, pornography, with things that are improper? Are your kids healthier, doing better? Are they more inclined to be obedient to you? Or are they fighting with the spirit of rebellion? Back in the day when we were raising boys, it was about the rebellious music that kids could listen to that has a spirit behind it. Well, there's all kinds of things that have spirits behind it, right? And we need to know some things are maybe okay. They, they fall in a neutral area. But some things have a spiritual agenda to undermine your faith and destroy your family. Amen. So you need to have an understanding Parents need to be together on this. Even if you think your spouse is a little more conservative on the stand on this, it would be better for you to stand together than to see your kids see you separated in a value about the Bible. That's more damaging. It would be better for you to set a stronger standard than a more liberal standard. It would be better for you to have a bigger hedge, a taller hedge, and one that is farther away from the world than one that is as close as you can get. Too much is at stake. Amen. I want to give you a few verses about media. If you want to know more about this, lesson five on apostolic identity. We dive into this very deeply. It's archived. Psalm 1013, I'll go through these verses quickly, but I want to make sure I substantiate what I've just said. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I will hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Job 31, 1. He said, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. I like that wording. I made a deal with my eyes. Why then should I look Upon a young woman. And the context is with lust. In the Bible, in verse 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Another verse, not in my notes, says that we should be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Paul wrote that in Romans. How much do you need to know about evil? As little as possible. Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brethren and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue... And if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. 
Amen? Oh, Lord, my Redeemer. The Bible says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we love this verse. It is still true today. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Philip's paraphrase says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that you may live out what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible says a lot about building a hedge around our minds. So things that would undermine our faith need to be put away from us and we need to be accountable for the way we live. With your devices, if you're constantly re re erasing your history and your spouse doesn't have access to that, if your parents don't have access to that, I know our kids are a lot smarter than us. If you can't figure out technology, ask a six-year-old. They can help you. I'm not saying don't trust your teenagers. Trust and verify. And be accountable. Amen. We need hedges to protect our families physically and relationally. We need hedges to protect our families mentally and emotionally. With all that said, we mostly need to protect our families with a spiritual hedge around them. Spiritual hedges are hard to see, but they are formed by the integrity and the walk, the spiritual walk of parents. It is who you are in the dark, what you believe, how you live. It's your prayer life. It's your interaction with the Word of God, that the Word of God dwells in you richly in all wisdom, not just something you know in your head, but it's something you have in your heart. It is the prayer in the Spirit, not just with the understanding. When the Holy Ghost begins to pray through you, we raised three boys. There were times when I feel like we warred in prayer. I did not know exactly what I was praying, but I felt the unction of the Holy One to pray and build up ourselves on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. I hope you pray over your meals. I hope you have a prayer list. But I hope you've got a dimension of prayer that is powerful, that you intercede in the Holy Ghost for your family. When you do, you are building a spiritual wall of protection. You're saying, not here, not us. You don't own us. We belong to God. Amen. We need to build spiritual spiritual hedges around our family. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 10 and 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we eat and sleep and drink and work jobs and goof off a little and enjoy people. God created a beautiful world to enjoy. We walk and live in this human life. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We don't win these wars with bombs and guns. 
We win these wars in a superior form of warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not earthly. It's great to have a curfew, but you better have more than a curfew. It's great to have media limitations, but you better have more than that. It's wonderful to guard your friendships, but you need more than that. You need this dimension of the Holy Ghost. And when we come to the altar, I'm going to encourage you to pray in the Spirit. If you talk in tongues about once a year, that's not great. The old timer said you need to speak in tongues every day. I'm not going to make that a doctrine. But Paul said the outward man perishes. The inward man is renewed day by day. You're not to be drunk with wine where it is excess. But you are to be filled with the spirit. We need to pray what Romans 8.26 says. That there's groanings and utterings that come in the Holy Ghost. That is a spiritual warfare. Back to my verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. One of my heroes, one of my friends, Brother Wayne Huntley, years ago preached the message that Pentecost needs a Pentecost. You've heard me say before, we don't want a pretty Pentecost that sounds good and real pretty. We call ourselves that, but we deny the power thereof. Pentecost was a power that came from heaven where people were accused of being drunk with wine. They were so moved on by the Spirit. When you're praying in the Holy Ghost, it may not be pretty. You may not maintain your composure, but you are fighting a war that is winnable because you're building a spiritual hedge around your family. Would you stand right now?